0: Well, hey, everyone, my name is Toby, and uh, hopefully you, you can hear me out there. I can kind of see me in here, and uh, this, is, <laughs> this is all very surreal. Guys, I'm so thankful for um, this moment right now because it is so weird. <laughs> that, uh, you know, we, we, we won't be doing this much more, but there's recorded pieces, there's a few of us in here, there's a lot of you in, in your homes, presumably listening. <laughs> um, Uh, And I'm just so thankful because even, you know, that moment that Brian led us through confession to reflect on the wild world we live in right now uh, for the songs that Corey chose, which uh, I think will be evident that that really will help us as we uh, continue this week in the book of Leviticus. And and just to say that on Tuesday when we gather to pray, uh, Canada is certainly uh, something we will be praying for so uh, just just thankful for this moment and hopefully uh, everything technical will, will keep going. So thanks to, to Jim and Courtney for that. Um, if, you, if you don't know, uh, I, have, uh, I have five roommates. So I have five roommates. Um, the four of them are on what I call expiring contracts. Uh, they vary from 14 to seven years in which uh, I hope to collect rent or um, say goodbye. So uh, the, other, the other one, of course, uh, we're lifers uh, in terms of our roommate. Uh, now you're like, what is it? Who is this person? Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just talking about my family. Uh, and I do, I do live with five people. And wherever you find in stage of life you're in, probably you've had or have now roommates to some degree. And when you have roommates, you're always figuring out how in the world are we going to get through this, how are we going to move and get along? Who does what when, and who does what how? And inevitably, when we bump heads, how do we get through things? True story: uh, In our first year of marriage, Loretta and I, we we had spent actually very little time together at all, uh, long distance, and just friends. I told my brand new wife that I am all gonna be this is gonna be epic. this is this is another confession moment. <laughs> I told my my, my wife I was 23, 24 years old I said, Loretta, I'm all about speed and efficiency. <laughs> just just log that one <laughs> how I do the dishes and how you'll do the dishes, how we cut the onions how how we how we take the toothpaste uh, this is this is, this, is, this hurts uh, this, and let, let's just say we had a really rough um, first year. <laughs> of marriage but see this question about roommates and how we get along is actually where we find ourselves in Leviticus we're in the third book of the Bible we're in the series called one where we're, we are going through I don't know who came with this idea one book of the Old Testament every single week is what we're doing and we are in Leviticus and the question now is how is how are the Israelites going to live with God in their presence because the question is not like Oh, uh, you know, you just have a uh, your buddies coming over, and you're gonna have you know a new college roommate. This is something like, I don't know, the the Queen of England or something registering to be your Airbnb guest, and beyond that, God, who at one point was outside the camp, you know, they were like the Israel's like we don't want any part of this God. You know, Moses, you deal with this God. So there's a tent of meeting outside the camp, and now this tent, this tabernacle, this detailed, a beautiful building was going to be right in the middle. And, and, and the question was, how are we going to get along? The question is more like, how do you live with the sun that is pure and bright and powerful? How are we going to get along? And this is the question before us. How are the Israelites going to move forward with this? Um, the the book, uh, unfortunately, those who named this book, they, they didn't have like a marketing background. They didn't think this is, this is going to be a tough sell. Uh, we, the Leviticus actually follows the uh, Septuagint. So there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And they said, well, this is all about Aaron and his sons, the Levites. So we call the Leviticus. The Hebrew titles actually uh, comes from the first words of the book, depending on your translation. Something like And and he called, and the Lord called. the God, God summoned Moses. So it's this voice from inside that says, hey, Moses, come over. We, we're going to have to talk this out. Moses is outside the tent. And as we look through this, what Leviticus does is, is actually going to give us three solutions to how to live with God. That, that's what Leviticus is going to teach us. It's going to give us three answers. How is this relationship going to work as roommates now? And I want to, we don't have fancy slides, but I, I did go home and I have um, some duple here. So this, this is actually going to help us. As we look at the three solutions, because the structure of the book is such that uh, at the front and at the back, there's going to be the first on the first layer is this. this um, the, the answer is the house rules that deal with sacrifice, uh, ritual sacrifice and ritual days. So that's uh, for, uh, chapters one to seven and then uh, 23 to 25. The next answer we see the second level is are, are the priests or so the mediators. We see that in chapters 8 to 10 and then 21 to 22. The next uh, answer is how do you live with this holy God is you need to be pure. You need to be clean. You need to be cleansed. And chapters 11 to 15 and then 18 and 20 deal with those things. And finally, right in the center, you can see there's this kind of cascading structure right in the middle in chapter 16 and 17 is the Day of Atonement. This day they were to mark out every single year where Aaron, the high priest, would actually go into the tabernacle inside and inside into the most holy place. There's a thick curtain. He'd only go in once a year. And this is, this is what they were to do, the day of atonement. We're gonna talk through the answers um, to this question. How does does, does, the, does the people of Israel live with God? So let's first talk about um, the house rule so we're going to look at chapters 1 7 23 to 25 if you have your bibles um do do open them now i i i was literally driving in and you know just rehearsing and just thinking through things and and just to encourage you and make sure a physical bible is definitely preferable i literally left my bible at home this is this is Courtney's bible so uh thank you Courtney, again for uh that grace But uh, I'm going to read from Leviticus chapter one. I'm going to read the first nine verses. We're talking about sacrifice, ritual sacrifice. It says, Then the Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord from the livestock, you may bring your offering from herd or the flock. So herd or flock. In this offering, If this offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to bring an unblemished male. He will bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting so that he may be accepted by the Lord. He is to lay hands on the head of the burnt offering so it can be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Atonement means a covering, a covering of sin, Uh, in verse 5, he is to slaughter the bull before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priests are to present the blood and splatter it on the sides of the altar that is at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then he is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will prepare a fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Aaron's sons the priests are to arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on top of the burning wood on the altar. The offer is to wash its entails and legs with water. Then the priests will burn all of it on the altar as a burn offering, a fire offering of a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you're thinking, this is why in my Bible plan, I stopped at Leviticus. This is, this is you know, well, the Genesis is exciting. And maybe we got through Exodus, but this is where it's like, oh, my gosh, this is weird, Toby. What is this all about? You know, a lot of us would look at this and, and actually at the end it talks about this pleasing aroma and maybe we think of the ancient near east and certainly there's lots of cultures who sacrificed animals and and so is this just one of those things and and i want to say that this is a specific way in this is god telling us this is what you do to be near me i'm not a bloodthirsty god and you need to just randomly sacrifice animals or children this is a way and i'm telling you how you can be near me and later he's going to, it tells us specifically in uh, chapter 17 that, that blood, the shedding of blood, represents life. And, and I think biologically that, that makes a lot of sense. That life has to be given to be near a holy God because we, were, we are unholy. Israelites are unholy. We are separated. And so to be near him, blood must be shed. And we see that immediately right here. Like this is how it starts. Burnt offering. It's a way in. It's not just a random act of take an animal at some point and do something. It's a way in. And in fact, this first one, uh, interestingly, the first uh, chapter as it lays it out, this is a burnt offering. The whole animal is to be burnt, all of it, all of it. But interestingly, as you can see, um, I have here uh, in my kids' Duplo sets. There's there's actually a gradation. Of animals you can bring. So if if you were not wealthy, you were not rich enough to to uh, some uh, an animal from the herd, then you could you could go with a, a sheep or a goat. And if you couldn't afford that, you could actually go with a bird, a, a dove of some sort. So there was actually a way, and it wasn't like oh, if you're rich you can do this, if you're poor you can't. No, no, anyone can do this. Anyone can do this, even a grain offering. So there there, there that that told us there was a way in, and not only that. Later, now this offering, as I mentioned, this first one was all burnt, everything. But in the third chapter, you will read, uh, or you can read about this fellow fellowship offering, where not the whole animal uh, was burnt, but actually just the the fat parts, the the, the tasty, the best parts were, were burnt in honor of the Lord. But then it says, then the rest you're actually to eat. So it was a sense of we're having a meal together. We. There was a, a point where we were separate and, and we needed to sacrifice. But now we're just celebrating that we can be together of peace and fellowship. That's what chapter three is about. So this is not just a bloodthirsty God who's actually somehow consuming the meat. He's, no, he's saying there's a way in. You need to understand that that blood has to be shed. See how serious this is. But please know that we, I, I want you. I want to be here with you. And this is a way for us to be together. Likewise, uh, in chapters 23 to 25, we won't read anything from there, but if you read it, you can see that it lays out all the annual festivals that they were to remember and celebrate, the weekly Sabbath uh, that they were to keep, these festivals, the year of Jubilee. We we read, actually, um, when Mike and I spoke about uh, sabbatical and what that's about, and that, that's all instituted in those chapters and what he was saying is there's a way to remember our relationship just like we have anniversaries and and we and we you know redo things and we reenact things it was a way to reenact it was a way to rest there was always rest involved I remember um I, I went to York University and i I guess with a higher um, a Jewish population there in the fall we would have these at that point, I was like, "Extra days off, Day of atonement, All right." And having no idea what was actually happening. It was just a day off. But they would they were to do this constantly and perpetually to remember the religion, to remember what God did. and And amazingly enough, guys, today, uh, our our Jewish friends and neighbors continue to do this. And maybe there's a, something sad and ironic about that. But they are continuing to look at Scripture and say, well, we've we got to keep doing this. So these are the house rules, ritual sacrifice, these ritual days right at the bottom here. The next, um, the next answer to how we're going to get along, how are we, are we going to get along, is, um, is in the second layer, which relates to the priests uh, what, or, or, or mediators in chapters 8 to 10 and 21 to 22. Uh, Aaron and sons, uh, depending on your translations, um, Aaron and sons and sons of Aaron's. I just kept thinking like a heating and air conditioning company. <laughs> but <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> yeah, being the, the first high priest and uh, being from the family of Levi, which is the word of, you know, the basis of Leviticus, the things of the family and the tribe of Levi. And I, I don't know what you picture when you hear the word priest. I'm sure. Um, there's much that might go through your mind. I mean, uh, certainly, I think, very generally speaking, even across different religions and cults and cultures, there's a sense that priests or gurus or experts, they stand between the transcendent or the destination and, and the people. They they stand to represent people to the transcendent. They stand to represent the transcendent to the people. That's what uh, ideally... They are to do. And uh, interestingly enough, the word Levi in uh, in Hebrew means to join or to attach. He's one of the sons of Leah. And they were, furthermore, in chapter 10, God says, hey, the Levites, Aaron and sons and co, your job is to teach what I command. That's your job. You need to teach this. You need to teach this. And not only that, what we find out in Numbers is that actually the whole tribe, this This one of the 12 tribes, they were actually to stand themselves as a substitute for the firstborn that God um, says are mine. So this this is what God says. God says, you know, out of the Passover, when I said every firstborn is mine, but I spared you because you put blood, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. You still owe me. You still owe me your firstborn from every single tribe and family. You owe me. But he says, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the Levites instead. And I'm going to take the Levites to be and 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 they didn't have um, any land, which is a huge concession. They could not uh, create a, a living, a sustainable living for themselves. They had to rely on God and their fellow citizens and family for a living. They were already in this calling and vocation themselves, a substitute for their own people and there's something um very beautiful about how God has set this up. But as Brian has already mentioned, when it comes to origin stories, um there's been a lot of failure already. A lot of failure. Aaron of course is he's he is the first high priest in the line and, and it will the, the line will follow him, Aaron. And yet in Genesis um 32 that moment where we read Moses has been up on the mountain and they're getting a little nervous. They're like, uh, this has been a little too long. I don't know. And that's when they decide, okay, okay, Aaron actually says, Okay, bring me your gold. Let's 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 melt it into this golden calf. And actually archaeol uh there's some archaeology that 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 has found these little little calves. Um that that perhaps um, other cultures would have worshipped. Why? Because um, it was a prized animal. It was uh, it was a, it could be a powerful animal. And so, Aaron in his origin story has already failed miserably, and here he is. But there's more failure. So cha- uh, turn to chapter uh, ten in Leviticus. So Aaron, uh, that you know they've begun to uh, these offerings that uh, that have been instituted by God through Moses. Moses tells Aaron, and then in chapter 10 of Leviticus, this is what we read. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan and put fire in it, placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Then fire came down from the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me and I will reveal my glory before all my people. And then there's this short line. And Aaron remained silent. they, they, They flippantly, not thinking, Somehow, not, they, they missed that, the, the chain of command and the seriousness of this tent and of the moment. They, perhaps with good intentions, we don't know. Perhaps with good intentions, but yet unauthorized came, and just like that, they died. Fire rained down. And, and immediately, I think what we are seeing is that as, as, um, as helpful as this establishment of the priests are through, for the people of Israel... That there is deep failure within them. They are actually very flawed people. We're going to read in the Day of Atonement when Aaron's going to going to um, go into the Most Holy Place. He's going to slaughter a whole uh, a whole um, ram just for himself. You know, a little irony there because it's like the the calf that you wanted to worship. No, you're going to slap slaughter on your own behalf. They are completely uh, imperfect. They are people just like their fellow um, Israelites. And it is interesting to see that as we as the story progresses into, as we'll get into the um, book of Samuel, we'll see the, 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 the continued failure of the priests. Uh, the, the high priest at the time, his sons uh, decided to ha- have sex with the temple workers. you know that's, that's kind of what it descends into. And interestingly enough, the of course, when we move into the Gospels, as Jesus himself comes on the scene, who are his, his chief enemies? Who are the people who are against Jesus? It is the high priest. It is the priestly class that will say, hold on, who are you? What are you about? Because we hold this office. We are descendants of Aaron. And, and and Hebrews will deal with that. So as much as we see um a, a solution to have this mediator, this class of mediators, we see actually there's failure there and there's longing for a better priest. Uh, third section, if we just show the camera here, the third section right here, right on top, this is, this is going to be a good one. It's, it's all the, the cleanliness and kosher laws that you may have some familiarity with. We see that in uh, chapters 11 to 15 and then 18 to 20. So again, this side-by-side kind of structure as we build up to chapters 16 and 17. Uh, if you were curious, uh, there is an entire chapter, chapter 15, dedicated to bodily discharges. Yes, you can, uh, you can meditate on that uh, today. But the whole idea of purity of being clean before God, of of being aware of what we eat and what we consume, and and this instruction to the Israelites, of course, one we might know well is to abstain from eating a pork or or pigs. And and actually, if you read, I believe in chapter, let me find that now, um, chapter twelve. Sorry, not chapter twelve. Chapter eleven. There's there's a, a really a division of like. Land animals you can eat, seafood you can eat, insects and creepy crawling things you can eat, and there's a lot of um, you know commentators thought well, okay maybe it relates to hygiene, uh, what you know would would not have been good for the Israelites. Maybe it related to other cultures uh, around them who perhaps worshipped these uh, animals. Uh, We we really don't know because one explanation doesn't really seem to fit. Everything. What we do know uh, from all these laws related to skin disease and childbirth and intercourse and and being pure is that God was concerned with all of life. He was concerned with everything they did, and they were not to go about life casually. They were to be uh, aware again and cognizant that God, this holy uh, God, that you know, revealed to them at some points and the mountain being on fire and they were terrified. Now dwelled his presence in this tent, in this tabernacle within their midst and they were not to be careless and flippant about it. But just as we see that, uh, you know, maybe we, we would say how what we bring in into our bodies and how we eat and how we interact really matter. There's also actually a purity in the way they would look out at the world. So there's a way in that we need to be pure and clean, but there's also a way out. So turn with me to a number, or sorry, uh, chapter 19 in Leviticus. Because there will be some familiar words here, but we may be surprised that this too was how they were to remain pure. And just to note that purity wasn't sin necessarily to give birth to a child, which is of course a great thing. And then to be impure was not sin, but it was to be aware that there need to be a period of cleansing before coming uh, again. But this is, we're going to read uh, chapter 19, verses 9 to 8. Uh, sorry, verses 9 to 18. It says, this is part of this, this purity uh, laws. Uh, chapter, uh, sorry, uh, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land... You are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. What does it mean? You have, you have land, you plant a field. Don't take it all. Leave things on the edge. Why? Uh, do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. You have people, uh, sojourners, you have refugees who have in your land there. They are not Israelites. But he's saying, no, no, leave them so that others could glean from it. Uh, Leave them for the poor, for the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. This is the kind of God he is. Do not steal. Do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired worker must not remain with you until morning. He's like, pay up. You hire someone, pay up. That's the kind of God I am. Pay up. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But you are to fear your God. I am the Lord. Those with disabilities you will not take advantage of. I am God. Don't do this. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor discreetly, or sorry, directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Don't talk back, don't 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 spread rumors. Go to that person have a conversation. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against uh, members of your community. But here it is. But love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I remember learning this in primary schools. like, just treat the person next to you like you want to be treated. It is so basic, yeah. so simple. But also not actually completely self-evident, so that God has to say, "This is how you. This is how you get along. Treat someone as if you would want to be treated." Here it is, yeah. in Leviticus 19. This is how you are my people, not just inside keeping these specific uh, kosher laws, but actually outside, to neighbors, to foreigners, to. To the poor, this is how you can represent me. This is how you can be near me. These are the uh, cleanliness laws. They are a way in. They are looking at a way out. And then we reach uh, finally chapter 16 and 17, uh, the day of atonement. And uh, this is a very serious business. If you turn to chapter 16. Uh, it seems to pick up, actually, uh, when uh, to remind us that Aaron's sons, they died. You know, they, 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 were, um, uh, they were flipping about what they did. And this is going to be one day every year. This is the one day, the only day that Aaron, the high priest, would go into the most holy place. So inside the tent, there was a holy place, a curtain, the most holy place. Where the Ark of Covenant, this this large golden box, the the mercy seat. We sang the song this morning about God's mercy seat, and that was there, and that's where God's presence would hover uh, in a cloud, and this these cherubim, these kind of lion, eagle, animal things, and their wings, you know, are spread out covering this place. So let's read from uh, chapter sixteen. It says this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two of Aaron's sons when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Aaron is to enter the most holy place in this way with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to wear a holy linen tunic and linen undergarments are to be on his body. He is to tie a linen sash around him and wrap his head with a linen turban. These are holy garments. He must bathe his body with water before he wears them. He is to take uh, from the Israelite community two male goats for a sin offering and take one ram for a burnt offering. And so first of all, Aaron is to purify himself a whole uh, animal would need to be slayed on his behalf, on Aaron's behalf, so that he could go in and he would be uh, taking the blood of this animal and, and splashing it against all on the inside of the holy place. And then it talks about these two goats. Probably you've heard of this term scapegoat before. And this, this picture is right here from the Day of Atonement. They, were going to, uh, they would cast lots for one of these goats. And it was this picture of one of these goats being sacrificed. But the other, they would actually place their hand on this goat. They would, they would symbolically lay uh, any sin that has not been covered on this goat. And then they would send off this goat. It would live. And they would also see the picture of their sin leaving the camp. That's, this, this is what scapegoat. Is all about Uh, verse. Let me read from verse fifteen. He says, "This when he slaughters the male goat for the people's sins offering and brings its blood inside the curtain, he will do the same with its blood as he did with the bulls' blood. He is to sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in front of it. He will make atonement for the most holy place in this way for all their sins because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts." He will do the same for the tent of meeting that remains among them because it is surrounded by their impurities. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement for the most holy place until he leaves leaves after he has made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole assembly of Israel. Verse 18, then he will go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns on the sides of the altar. He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it with its finger seven times to cleanse and, and set it apart from the Israelites' impurities. When he has finished making atonement for the most, most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he is to present the live male goat. Verse, 20. verse 21, Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. He to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. The goat will carry all their iniquities into the desert land, and the man will release it there. Every year they would stop what they're doing and perform this act as this picture of what it means to be near this holy God. Blood would need to be shed to cover their sin, and then this picture of their sin leaving the camp. This uh, is another I mean, if you think about um, an object lesson, you know, most of us learn very well by experiencing something and we do something. God's saying, okay, you need to do this over and over and over again, it's that important that I want you to do this every year, all the time. So what? What now? Right? What now? I um, one commentator he, he explained this whole sacrificial system in a helpful way. See, it's as if God was receiving a check from the Israelites. That, that check to pay for their sin was animal sacrifice, was bloodshed. But God, over the many years, actually never cashed the check. He said, okay, I will graciously let you in, but I will not cash the check. Do you know why? Because the blood of animals and goats cannot atone for your sin. I understand I've instructed you to do this, but this will not do. I will not cash this check. It will bounce, actually. Because that's a goat. You're a human. That doesn't make, doesn't make a lot of sense. But one day, one day a payment will be made. And we need to look at Hebrews um, chapters 9 and 10. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews. Because uh, we, we, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, certainly it was someone who had a lot of knowledge of um, the sacrificial system. Uh, and it certainly seemed like his audience as well uh, understood what he was talking about and in Hebrews chapter nine, he actually looks over this uh, scene again, the um, day of atonement and he 's going to make a case that actually this was this was a placeholder so look let 's read chapter ten. Um, and if you've read Hebrews and you've wondered, what is this all? This this is the backstory. This is at least part of the backstory. Uh, we find in the He says this. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never uh, perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer, offer Year after year, and that's that's what they've been doing. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered, since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any conscience of sins? But in the sacrifice there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's that's what he's saying. This it's it's not it's not possible if we look back uh, towards uh, chapter 9, from verse, I'm going to read from verse 11. It says, But Christ has appeared as a high priest, verse 11, of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled those who were defiled, sanctified for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Verse 15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in effect while one uh, who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all its people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacles and all the articles of worship of blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All that was done over these years, all the symbolism of blood shed and sprinkled, Jesus himself becomes the final lamb. Jesus himself becomes both the high priest who can enter? Actually, without sacrificing for himself, because he is perfect, he enters in, and then, and then, w- what is sacrificed itself is not an animal, but he himself, blood shed. This is this. This is the culmination of all that is taking place in Leviticus. This is the way in. This is how we can be with God, the perfect high priest who gives his own life for us. This is great news. Blood was shed on your behalf, on my behalf, so that we could be near God. I don't know if we, we, we weekly do these moments of uh, confession, and maybe week to week, uh, you, you come at different, um, different amounts of confession you have to make. I, I for whatever reason, I I come, I, I you know, spending a good chunk of time, reading about a lot of bloodshed. I, I I'm telling you, I come this week, thinking, man, I deserve death. My like, <clears throat> the 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 book of my life. I I deserve death. You you can you can ask my family, they know. <laughs> and so we come. And we sing, I mean, we, that, that song we sang, um, this is amazing grace. And we know it, we know it by heart. This is in family love that you would take my place. You laid down your life that I could be set free. Jesus, um, I sing for all that you've done for me. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave, guys. I know sometimes it's just memory. Sometimes we hear it on our whatever device. But please feel the weight of what Jesus has done. Because for thousands of years, God taught them, guys, this is a placeholder. I'm holding the check. I'm not cashing it. But one day, someone's going to pay up. And it's not you. There, w- there will be blood, but it's not yours. And I'm doing this for you. I'm going to send my son. He's going to be the lamb. And he's going um, to redeem you and bring you near me. I just want to end here with uh, three kind of what nows. <laughs> I think what we looked at, first of all, is a better ground for social justice. Guys, social justice is, is we, we hear it every day in, in a many different contexts. What we see here is a better ground for social justice because our, our very strange world says, um, what you believe is what you believe, what I believe, what I believe. Everything is kind of relative, but also we shouldn't be racist. Also, we should care for the poor. And it's a, it's, it's, a little, it's, it's a little confusing. If it's all relative, how can you tell me that I'm supposed to do this? And, and what we see in this very ancient story that has been lived out is that the grounds is that there is a being and a God himself says, no, no, do this. This is who I am. <clears throat> you will treat foreigners and strangers and poor just like you would yourself. You will not take advantage of the blind and the dumb and the deaf and the lame. This is the way. He sets a bar. He lays a foundation. Guys, we have every reason to, to live out what it means to see justice in the world. We have every reason. It's also a better take on our world. It's a better take on our world because inevitably we will wrong someone or be wrong. Whether it's something major or from a fender bender, where we will feel injustice or we we'll say someone has to pay up for this scratch and for this thing. And and with our roommates and our family, we're often we're often when 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 the intensity comes, we are thinking blood needs to be shed. Oh man. Like you we feel it. We feel injustice, even if it's a, a, a emotional or a disagreement. When we feel wrong, we think. Blood needs to be shed. There needs to be a price needs to be paid, and often we pay back. And, and if you know them well, you know how to pay back. And and this what we're constantly asking for. It. And and this picture is saying, no, 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 blood was already shed. There has been a substitution. You don't have to go and shed blood. Jesus shed blood. So we can actually go out equipped to make peace and say, I, I don't need to take revenge, or I don't need to get back or hit back or you know, speak back. Because there has been a substitute. Blood has been shed. That price of conflict between you actually—that's been paid. That's been paid up. There's, it's a better take on our world. And you know what? This is a, a call for all of us, because the the real um, interesting thing about all this talk about Levites and Aaron's and sons and Co. Is that in Exodus chapter nineteen. This call uh, to be priests was not just for one of the 12 tribes. It wasn't. It was for all the Israelites. So in Exodus chapter 19, God is speaking. Um, let's see, where did I write this down? In text, uh, verses 3 to 6, Moses went up to the mountain of God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob. And explain to the Israelites, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Guys, you seen I rescued you. You did nothing. I did everything. And I, and, I, and I took you in. Now, verse 5, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. All, um, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests, all of you, royal priests, all of you, mediators and representatives to the world, all of you, not just not just Aaron, all of you, be a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. These are the words that are to stay uh, to say to the Israelites. And so it is no surprise we we studied uh, First Peter last year that First Peter would look out at. Now this mixed ethne, like a Gentile Jew people gathered under Jesus, and he would say, "Now you guys, you guys are a holy priesthood. You guys now point to the high priest Jesus are mediators. You you, you stand before you. You guys, you guys are priests to your neighbors. You guys are priests in Ajax and Pickering and your workplace. You stand to represent." God's holiness and God's love and God's welcome. And you get to point to the high priest who is also the sacrifice, who shed his blood so that there'll be no more enmity between you and me, between you and God. You don't have to find a way. You don't have to get on your knees and crawl. You don't need to find the next guru or the next spiritual thing. This is the way. Let me show you. And we've been called to be priests and mediators for our family, for our friends, for our coworkers, for our neighborhood. This is the call that we have. Now that we see, we get to, we get to see the, the big picture. Moses and Aaron, they, they, they couldn't quite see. We get to see. And so I want to end our time today uh, with a commission. I want to commission you from Romans chapter 12. Perhaps you are familiar with Romans chapter 12. Um, like so many things, as we fill in the backstory, we get to feel the weight of it. Let me commission you city gates. Paul says, he's writing to the church in Rome, therefore, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters of city gates, in view of the mercies of God, hopefully you have a view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus, our lamb, he sacrificed already. Now you can become a living sacrifice, holy And pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. May that be so, City Gates. May that be so. Amen. Thank you for uh, joining us. Hopefully we'll see you online Tuesday evening. And then into your community groups. Have a great week.